Shalom mishpocha. Shalom family. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word. means family. <laughs> We're the mishpocha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people where the middle wall is separation between Jew and Gentile. It's finally come down to form one new man, one new species of being, getting ready, mishpocha, to blow the grandest shofar or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone everywhere to hear the good news. We want everyone everywhere to be red hot for the Messiah. Well, my guest, Tommy Reed, I've known for many years, but there are a number of things I'm finding out now that I never knew about you, Tommy. For instance, your parents were among the earliest Pentecostals in the eastern part of the United States. Uh, Your father came in dragging his feet because uh, his father uh, was uh, a bar. Owned a bar, and uh, your dad was an alcoholic. Your mom, of course, was a strong believer, but your dad was an alcoholic. And uh, when you were four years of age, what happened? When I was four years of age, my parents, my mother dragged my father to church, to a Wesleyan Methodist church. And my dad was an alcoholic. He was dying of alcoholism and had bleeding ulcers. Doctors had given him up to die. He came to the altar. Instantly, he was converted. I mean, he became a believer uh, that was probably the strongest believer in this part of the country. Everybody wanted his testimony. And uh, at the same time, he was healed. At the same time, he was delivered of alcoholism. So he walked out completely healed, completely delivered of alcoholism, didn't even know it was uh, religiously wrong to drink. So he went the next night to the bar and ordered his usual drinks, and the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, if you're going to serve me, you can't serve me in this room. And my dad turned around and said, Al, to the bartender, Al, want a wine? Ring it up. It's my last drink, and it was. Instantly, he came back to a home that was broken, not, not, not between my mother and dad, but because he was dying of alcoholism, and started serving God. It was a total miracle. And uh, what was he healed from? He was healed from his... Uh, from bleeding ulcers that were a result of the alcohol. Mm. And this instant, I I love these instant healings, instant deliverance. Uh, But then at eight, the devil tried to take you out. Uh, You developed polio. I developed polio. Well, before that, I actually had spinal meningitis, and my parents prayed over me, and I was healed. But then I had this dramatic healing, uh, which was told in that award-winning a video, a award-winning story of my life uh, on DVD. And uh, in that time, I was unable to walk, laying on a bed, uh, the devil telling me I would never walk again, my mother telling me, by his stripes you're healed, and began quoting all the healing scriptures. One day, I awakened, and God said to me, today is the day I'm going to heal you. And at that instant, I knew that was the day. So I called my mother and said, Mom, would you call the pastor, have him come and pray for me? She called the pastor. He couldn't come. He was in Buffalo making rounds at the hospitals, and he couldn't come. And I said to the Lord, why did you tell me today the pastor can't pray for me? The Lord said to me, he's not here, but I'm here, and I'm going to heal you. And at that point, I pointed my finger at the devil, and I said, devil, you are not going to keep me in this bed any longer. Push myself to to uh, to my feet took a step with my good leg, then I realized that was the wrong thing to do. I should have started with my bad leg first, so I'd have the good leg to stand on. But 
All of a sudden, I realized my bad leg worked. And I walked across the floor, ran up the stairs. I didn't walk up the stairs. I always run. I still, I'm 82. I still run upstairs. I ran up the stairs, got out of my clothes, came back down, looked at my mother and said, Mom, I want a glass of milk. And my mother had this pan of milk in her hands, so shocked by the fact her son could walk that she dropped the milk all over the floor and said, what are you doing walking? <laughs> and I said, Mom, I told you today Jesus said he'd heal me. And uh, she said, well, uh, you're going to have to do one of two things, either lap the milk up off the floor or go down to the store and buy it. So I said, put my coat on, ran out the door of the house, ran two blocks to the store, ran back home and poured my own glass of milk instantly healed by the power of God. So I saw my first miracle in my own body. I, I have to ask you, uh, you're, you're a young child, you're eight years old, and you, you're using phrases such as, uh, Jesus spoke to me. Um, uh, in what way did he speak to you? Was it audible? Was it a thought, an impression? Uh, I think, I'm not sure it was audible. But to me, it was so strong, it was audible. To say it was audible, I can't say that, but it was so strong in my heart. Many times when God speaks to me, because I've lived a life, I believe that in the morning you go into the presence of God and you hear God's voice. I believe you not only talk to Him, but He speaks to you. So all of my life, I've had this innate ability to be able to hear His voice. And I heard His voice that day, but I've heard it many, many times. Tell me exactly what he said to you after uh, you were looking for the pastor and the pastor couldn't come. Exactly what he said to me. Tommy, the pastor is not here, but I am here, and I'm the one that's going to heal you. And at that point, all doubt was gone. I knew that was the day. But he, he also said, take me by the hand. Yeah. Well, the other thing he said, that's kind of what I said to him. I looked at that, and I, when I couldn't stand, when I, when I got to the place in my life where, where I d didn't have the ability to take the next step, I knew I was going to have to do something. So I, I reached out, and this is what I thought in my mind. Jesus, if I'm healed, I'm going to take your hand and walk, because I heard your voice, and I'm going to take your hand, and I'm going to live my life, the rest of my life. At eight years old, I said, God, I'm going to live the rest of my life by holding your hand and hearing your voice. Well, those are two important things for an eight-year-old to learn. I mean, I didn't even know God was real until I was 30. Uh, but then you started having visions of your whole future. Uh, at, at eight years old, how does an eight-year-old, I mean, I was in college and I didn't know what I wanted to do. <laughs> well, I think I was brought up by a mother who taught me that. Uh, she, I would kneel by her bed and she would describe the story of the crucifixion. And it was so real. She was a she worked for Cornell University. She was an educator, and she had an ability to tell me what was in her heart. And I began. She began to teach me to listen to God's voice. And so all of my voice, all of my life, I would go to the altar on Sunday night at the Little Assemblies of God Church. And at that Assemblies of God Church, as I knelt at that altar, uh, I would begin to see things. And I, I don't know what would happen to me, but I would be lost in what I was seeing. And what I was seeing was this big church. Now, our church was very small. It had handmade benches and handmade uh, altar rails and old worn-out 8 by 10 carpets laid together and about 30 people. But what I was, the church I was in 
in my prayer life was this big church. It was hundreds and hundreds of people, and the people were singing and worshiping and raising their hands. And when I would awaken, and this happened Sunday, not one Sunday, it would happen Sunday night after Sunday night. And I would say, Lord, where have I been? And it was like I was in two churches, the little church and the big church. And I, the big church was more real than the little church. And, uh, and the Lord would say to me in my spirit, that is the church that you're going to build. And I lived in that vision the rest of my life. I knew all of my life that I would come back to Buffalo and build that church. I'll tell you what. You had so many opportunities to not fulfill your 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 destiny, uh, but having that foundation from your mother teaching you how to hear God's voice. And uh, what about this uh, dreaming of dreams? Explain that. Well, uh, see, I I think God speaks in a language, and the language of destiny, I believe, is the language of visions and dreams. Uh, and, uh, and, and I don't mean just need dreams you dream when you're asleep at night. I mean, there is a world in which you live in a world of the spirit. Jesus went every day to that world. He said he did those things he saw the father do. And he said those things he heard the father say, Jesus did not just study for a sermon. Jesus went where he heard God's voice and saw God's face and saw the future. So when he came down, he saw blind Bartimaeus before he saw blind Bartimaeus. And my mother taught me to live in that world, that world where of, of the supernatural, that, that world that so many of us don't know much about, where God actually speaks to us, and we hear him and see the things of the Spirit. Well, Paul Crouch, who founded TBN, is now in heaven. Uh, when you were a young kid and just recovered from polio, uh, you didn't know how to play baseball or anything, and he taught you how to throw. But he taught you something even more important than that. He, what was it? He was, Paul, uh, Paul was a young man that came back from the mission field with his father. His father died on the way home. So he was basically fatherless. He had a wonderful mother. And so my parents bought him most of his clothes, and, and he was like my little brother. He was eight, and I was 10. No, I'm sorry. He was 10, and I was 12. And uh, 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 one day he said to me, Tommy, let's go and play catch. And I kind of looked down and said, Paul, I can't catch a ball. What do you mean he can't catch a ball? Everybody can catch a ball. Well, what was happened was I, I couldn't coordinate my eyes with my hands, and so I would see the ball in a different place. So Paul took me, and he said, you know, got close to me where the ball wasn't very far away, and he would say, Tommy, would you just watch it? Let your eyes follow it. And he taught me to catch my first ball. I'll never forget when I caught the first ball. And then he looked at me as we walked back from the field where we were catching ball or the place where we were playing catch. He looked at me, and this is what he said to me. Tommy, he was 10 years old. Tommy, you can do anything you want to do if you'll just believe. And he changed my life. I, I will never forget that. The last thing he did for me was to, to do the introduction on my video. Uh, and he said in there, Tommy lets you and I never quit dreaming. Now, one of the things that I love about your docudrama, your DVD that we're making available, uh, and that it, it, it is that... Uh, as you talk step by step of how the 
dream within you was more real than what was going on the outside, I believe people will have the same encouragement that was given you when you were young. And also your brand new book, How to Live Out a Dream, well, I believe that it will help those that are listening right now discover the God dream that is within them, and then step-by-step how to see this dream implemented. You believe that every Bible believer has a God-given destiny, a God-given dream. It's not just for the special people. Explain. Well, I I, I think the Bible teaches us in uh, six verses in the New Testament, the Bible says that, that our our future or our life or our name was written before the foundation of the world. When it says name, it just doesn't mean Tommy. It means who Tommy is. My destiny was written by God before the world was created. Your destiny was written, everybody's destiny was written before the world was created, which means our destiny is greater than nature itself. Before there was a rock, before there was a river, before there was a sun, before there was a constellation, God wrote our destiny which means that every single one of us have a destiny. The language with which God speaks to us about that destiny is the language of visions or dreams. And that's what I began to see as a child. And, and, and I believe that God has sent me in these years of my life, after I built churches and after I've done everything I've done in life, it's now my time to begin to go out across America and teach them how to hear God's voice and dream God's dreams. And that is much simpler than we ever can realize. I'll tell you something else that I was absolutely amazed at. I didn't know your whole connection with the pastor of the largest church in the world, except you had a connection with him in Korea before it was such a large church. Uh, tell, Tell me about that relationship you had with Dr. Cho. That was in 1962. We had been pastors of the large church in Manila built by Lester Summerall. Hey, did you know Lester by any chance? Oh, yeah, he was my spiritual mentor. Lester Summerall was the man that taught me most everything I know. Uh, he was the man that took me under his wing when I was a boy. Not a boy, but a, uh, a young preacher. And uh, because we had followed him as pastors at the church in Manila, uh, Springfield, Missouri, the Assemblies of God thought we'd be good ones to helped Dr. Cho get started. So they sent us to Korea to work with him. Little did I know that he would pass to the largest church in the world. Uh, And uh, uh, so we worked with him the entire year, watched the church grow from about 300 to over 3,000 that year. And let me tell you an interesting prophecy about Dr. Cho. Uh, We were in Taejeon, Korea. The whole city had been almost destroyed. We were staying with Dr. Cho in, in a hotel there. We'd have breakfast in the train station, because it was the only restaurant left after the Korean War. And we would, uh, in the morning, my dad looked across the table one day. I remember he was passing just a few hundred people. Grabbed Dr. Cho's hand and looked at him straight in the eyes and said, Sir, one day you will pass to the largest church in the history of the Christian church. And I will never forget him. He often tells the story when I'm with him. I remember that moment. It was the moment when God put in my heart the fact that I would pass to the largest church in the world. And for those that aren't familiar with that church, uh, what was their largest membership? I 
I think it was over 800,000 at one time. I mean, how can you have a church with 800,000? I don't know how you can have a church with 8,000. <laughs> he brought me back with my family for the for the 20th anniversary. But he wanted you to be not a pastor under him, of the largest church in the world. He wanted you to be his co-pastor. How could you turn him down? I had to turn him down because I had that vision. Uh, you know, I, I knew this was going to be the largest church in the world. I heard the prophecy from my father, and I knew I watched him grow that church. I mean, it was exploding. And, uh, it, uh, but I, I knew that that was not the vision. Didn't matter how big it became. Now, when I got back and things didn't work right away, I thought maybe I made a mistake. <laughs> oh, oh you, you know what? My favorite story about you is, uh, especially things are going so bad, uh, you get a phone call from a pastor in a church in Hawaii, a, a gigantic church, extremely prosperous, uh, one of the nicest places in the world to live. Uh, I know about Buffalo. It may be a wonderful place, but the weather, you can have it, Tommy. Uh, how in the world did you turn that church down when they wanted you to be the pastor? Well, uh, actually, we were, we, had, we were here already at that point, and I had... When I passed in Manila, I used to go back, you know, go back and forth, commute between America and, and the Philippines quite often, and we'd always stop in Hawaii and preach at First Assembly. And it was a large church. It was then in those days, you know, we're talking uh, 1960s, uh, 1950s, I mean, late 1950s. And uh, uh, we would stop there, and I... I fell in love with Hawaii, and I fell in love with that church, and I fell in love with those people. But we came to Buffalo, and I always had dreamed of going in the natural. Not, not God's dream, but my dream was to go to Hawaii. God's dream was Buffalo. My dream was Hawaii. And uh, the phone rang, and the voice of Eldon Vincent, the pastor on the other end of the phone, said, Tommy, would you t talk to your wife? Would she come with you? You've just been elected pastor First Assembly. And did I ever want to go? I was struggling. I was ready to give up. And in the middle of all that, I get the, I'm elected to the pastor of this big church. But I knew it was not the church in my heart. It was a different church than God put there. Uh, it, the church I put in my heart hadn't been built yet. We were just struggling. But I knew there was something inside of me that was bigger than the world around me. Well, I can't wait to get your new book, How to Live Out of a Dream, and this DVD docudrama, which is, it's actually won some awards. But there is a supernatural quality about this docudrama that will cause you to discover your dream and to fulfill your dream. Everyone has a destiny before God. Everyone has a dream. In fact, in a portion of this brand new book is a workbook which will help you identify everything you have to understand to fulfill your dream. So we're making the book and the DVD available for a gift of $35. And anything beyond that you can put in, I can tell you that the revival has begun. I can tell you that Time to Favor Zion 
has begun. I can tell you revival is breaking out in Israel. I can tell you revival is breaking out in the nations. And I can tell you that we have God-ordained opportunities to reach. You see, many people, rightfully so, are blessing Israel through humanitarian activities. Many people, rightfully so, are blessing Israel through um, meetings to bless Israel. But how many people at the set time to favor Zion are after the greatest blessing the world has to offer? He who wins souls is wise. Jewish people are pregnant right now to receive Jesus. Help me do it. I know how. When we come back, I want to hear one of the greatest miracles that Tommy Reed ever saw. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. Hello, this is Sid Roth here with Tommy Reed. And Tommy, before we went on the air, I was talking to you about your experiences with Dr. Cho. Uh, you went there just as he was really getting started. Uh, and... Uh, uh, he had never you when you met him did he really tell you he had never seen a miracle well he had seen some healing crusades and interpreted for them but he never seen a great miracle he never seen a miracle that was kind of earth shattering to him he'd seen a uh, a neck being healed from pain which if someone has a pain in the neck and some people do right now you're being healed but he had never seen a blind person see a deaf hear uh a dead person come to life. That's what you're talking about. Yeah, and he looked at me and he said, you know, I, I don't even know if I believe this. Now, he had been healed as, as a young man, about 18 or 19, but so he saw his own healing, but he'd never seen a miracle take place in church before. I remember I looked at him. I was just a young evangelist, and I was uh, uh, probably uh, uh, not uh, uh, too kind sometimes, maybe, uh, uh, and I looked at him and said, Brother Cho, you will see great miracles during the next few weeks, because he was going to travel with me all over the nation. And uh, uh, we we did see that. I mean, uh, I would look out at the audience. I have pictures uh, that I, I can't find right now. Someplace in moving, they got lost. But of all these people with uh, every night there would be a cripple walk. There would be a blind eye see. And that's why so many people came to our meetings. I mean, I remember times when uh, we would be carried out on people's shoulders because they would get so excited about the miracles of God. And he saw that and began to believe for that. Well, tell me about the uh, one of the first major miracles he saw. Well, the, one of the first miracles, and God used him in this, as he began to believe for miracles, we were holding a meeting at a Presbyterian church, a large Presbyterian church that was jammed with people, thousands standing at the outside, and and he, uh, I had to go on to the next city. So I went on to the next city with another interpreter. He stayed and did another week because the, the, the Holy Spirit was moving so greatly in that city. One night they came to him and said, uh, Brother Cho, uh, there's a, a person dying in the hospital. If you don't come down right now, he may not live till the service is finished. So he left the service, went down the hill to the hospital, walked in, and the man was dead. They'd pull the sheet over his head, and the doctor said, no, he's praying for him, he's dead. Brother Cho, now that he'd 
gotten this new impetus and healing, pulled the sheet down off of his head, commanded the man to walk. He got up off of that bed, now put his clothes on, and this was a very steep hill between there and the church, and he walked him all the way up that steep hill, and he walked into the church and said, the dead man is alive. The first miracle that he saw, uh, in, uh, that, I, that I remember him seeing, that was under his own ministry, was a dead man brought to life. You know what I believe, Tommy? I believe we are at the point right now where we are going to see the greatest miracles the world has ever seen. I mean, creative miracles. I mean, people without limbs, the limbs just popping right out. Uh, I, I, I can't wait to see what, see, I, just as you talk about the world inside uh, is more real and more important than what's going on on the outside, on the inside of me, I see not just me, but I see the average believer that's listening right now, walking in miracles beyond what we're even talking about. Oh, I have no doubt of that. That is the world that's inside of me. I believe we are on the precipice. Uh, we're on the cusp of seeing miracles like the Church has never seen before in its entire history. Uh, you know, we've seen great miracles of healing. I, I, uh, I, I've seen eyeballs that were growing in people. I, I've seen great miracles of healing, but we are on the cusp of seeing something greater than any of us have seen before. Tell me one of the most amazing miracles that happened to you in the Philippines. Yeah, uh, this was an amazing miracle. It, uh, I've seen many cripples walk, but we were in a, uh, we'd gone to a town in the southern tip of Lausanne Island, and uh, there was a group of young people that were opposed to the meetings. And so they were so opposed that we ended up not being able to hold the first night's meeting. So we went out to the country to a little tiny barrio of about 2,000 people and set a PA system up, and the whole barrio came. 2,000 people came and jammed that barrio, uh, the, the little uh, plaza in the center of the barrio. And the Lord said to me, this is unusual, because when you're healing evangelists, you usually play for the, pray for the easy cases first. And the Lord said to me, pray for the hardest case in this place tonight. It's a cripple. If you will call them out, I will heal them. So... Uh, I looked around, and I saw this woman on the stretcher, and I, I said to the interpreter, what's wrong with her? They said, well, she is unable to walk. And I said, God's going to heal her. So they brought her up, and they kind of dragged her out of bed and put her up in, in, on the stretcher in front of me. And I said, God is going to heal you tonight. You're going to be healed. You're going to walk. And uh, uh, I asked, what's wrong with her? They said it was arthritis. And so... Uh, I prayed for the arthritis. I rebuked the arthritis, as evangelists will do, and she couldn't walk. And all of a sudden, something said inside of me. God said to me, Tommy, she doesn't have arthritis. You prayed for the wrong disease. You must be specific. So I said to the interpreter, I prayed for arthritis. She wasn't healed. That's not what's wrong with her. Well, they'd gotten in between Tagalog and and Elik and uh, the Bicol dialect, they'd gotten a uh, a wrong interpretation. They said, no, she is paralyzed. She had some kind of a stroke or something, and she's 100% paralyzed in the right side of her body, and at least 50% or more in the other. She cannot walk. With that, I grabbed her, and I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to walk. And she got up, leaped off that stretcher, began to walk, and then she began to run, and she ran around and around and around the, the audience. 
well, she was obviously healed. There was no doubt about it. Uh, so uh, I said to her, "Well, we're going to have this big crusade in the in the in the in the capital city. Would you come and give your testimony tomorrow night?" Well, I wanted to be sure she was so he- still healed. Oh, we have little faith, you know. I want so the next morning we we drove out to the barrio to see if she. And all of a sudden, the whole town, as they saw the little yellow Ford come toward them, the whole town, 2,000 people, began to uh, just surge toward us, and she was leading them. I'm still healed. I'm still healed. Well, she came to the audience that night, came to the big meeting to give her testimony. And when she did, these young people who were opposing the meeting said, oh, the Americano is a rich man. He paid her 100 pesos to say that. She wasn't really healed. And uh, uh, it kind of interrupted the meeting. As you can understand, they didn't know whether to believe the boys or, or to believe me or to believe the woman. And uh, so the meeting was okay. A few people got saved, but there were no other miracles. And when we left town to go to the next, uh, next city, all of a sudden I heard the news that the young man who had opposed the meeting came down with the same uh, the same amount of paralysis, 100% on the right side and 50% in his, his left side, and as far as I know, did not walk another day in his life. Now, I don't understand the, the, the end of that story. All I know, it was probably the greatest miracle I ever saw. Well, the one thing I do know is uh, if you come against God, you're in big trouble. That was big trouble. Uh, you know something uh, that is, was so amazing to me? is tell me about the time your father was dying in Manila. Oh, that was a, that was probably the greatest miracle we ever had in our family, except my own healing. Uh, we had gone to the Philippines on a one-way ticket. And it was interesting how we got there. I'd sold my Cadillac convertible uh, to pay our way, and it bought a one-way ticket and enough to stay there a couple of weeks. And we had planned to stay with missionaries and and we had everything set to have meetings. We got there, and everything fell apart, just everything. Uh, the place we had to stay, the missionary went home. Uh, we checked into a hotel. We had no money to pay our hotel bill and no ticket back home. And in the middle of all that, my dad, laying in that bed, contracted some kind of an oriental uh, disease and uh, got sicker and sicker every day. He became more and more ill. And I would go into his bedside and want to pray for him. And... Uh, my dad said, no, no, don't pray for me. Pray for our destiny. Pray for where we're going, what we're going to do. And then I would say, well, let me pray for the finances. We need money to go back home. No, no, we're not going home. We're here for a reason. Pray for the reason. And uh, uh, so I'd walk in. He wouldn't let me pray for his healing. He wouldn't let me pray for money. He wouldn't let me pray for a ticket. He wouldn't let me pray for the hotel bill. None of that he would let me pray for. Then one day he said, it's time for God to answer our prayers. That phone is going to ring, Tommy, and we're going to be pastors of Bethel Temple. I said to my dad, that will never happen. I'm 26 years of age. They'd never want me to pastor the largest church in the denomination. Uh, They're not going to want you to pastor. You've been a businessman. You haven't been a preacher. They're, They're never going to ask us to pastor the church. He said, Tommy, that's the prayer I wanted you to pray. Destiny. Pray for what we're here to do. The phone rang, and the voice of the missions department springs in Missouri said, you have been chosen as the new pastors of Bethel Temple. We solved all of our problems. The money problem, the ticket problem, the, the place to live problem, and then Morris Torella walked in 
and paid our hotel bill. <laughs> but but your father was dying. I don't get it. I don't I don't get it either. Except to know this: that God has our destiny in mind. God has a voice that says to us, "This is the way." Walking. So so was he healed gradually, or what happened? Oh no, he was not sick anymore. From the time that telephone rang and he saw the end of the story, at that point he was healed. He, uh, the, the the fever was gone, the sickness was gone. He was he was perfect. Now, you have a great love for the nation Israel. Uh, the thing that I think is so amazing is in 1948 you were in school and the teacher made an announcement. Uh, tell me the announcement and tell me why it had such an effect on you. Uh, it had an effect on me because uh, I lived in the 1930s when we had all the prophetic teachers come by our church. And a little boy sits there and uh, sermons don't necessarily, he can't understand all of them. But when the prophecy teachers would come with all their charts, I could see the pictures. I understood that. And they told me that Israel would become a nation. The Jewish people would come back home, and Israel would become a nation again. So I grew up with this knowledge. I knew that Israel would be reborn. I knew the people would come back home. I knew the Jews would be restored to their homeland. And uh, so I remember sitting in the classroom in 1948 as a young man in junior high. I remember when the teacher walked in and said, we've just heard the announcement. Israel is a nation, and I knew that the Word of God was true, and no doubt that what I'd been taught was true. But I've had a lot. My dad absolutely loved Jewish people. When a Jewish person walked in, you would have thought Jesus walked in the room with my father. He, he lived to witness to Jews. That was his, that was his mission field. We, we frequented it. We'd go to Philadelphia, and we'd go down the Fifth Avenue or Fifth Street, and we would visit all of those little Jewish shops, and every Jew along that, that street was my dad's friend. He loved Jews. Uh, I was taught to love the Jewish people because they were God's chosen. But, you know, I, I still I want to take you back to that. Uh, um, you were in school. Uh, it was a social studies teacher. You've been taught your whole life to love the Jew and that one day Israel would be a nation. Well, it was impossible for Israel to be a nation. But in 1948, I, I, tell me the emotion that went on through you, inside of you, when your teacher says, Israel has just become a nation. Well, I think the first reaction I had, the Word of God is true. Uh, you know, uh, by the time you're in junior high, even though I've seen the miracles, uh, there's a few dots begin to come in. And all of a sudden I realized this book, the Word of God, is the Word of God, and it does come to pass, and I had lived to see one of the greatest events in the history of the world. Uh, said, I don't think we can realize, even though we, we said we can't realize the immense miracle that God did in the rebirth of Israel. It, it was a miracle that goes beyond our comprehension. I mean, it was like if today there was no Israel, and tomorrow President Obama says, I declare that Israel is going to be 
a Jewish homeland. That would have been impossible for him to say that. It was impossible in 48 for Israel to be a nation. But God said a nation will be formed in one day. And from the four corners of the earth, the Jews will return to their homeland. Uh, he even said the ancient language would be spoken in the streets of Jerusalem. At that time, I, I mean, the Hebrew was just uh, for the holy books. It wasn't a spoken language today. I mean, there were so many miracles that occurred. Even today, why is it that you give your missions money always including going to the Jew first. Well, you know, God spoke to me. And, uh, and I, as you know, a lover of Israel, Robert Stearns, is now the man who is pastor of the church that I pastored for 50 years. And uh, one of the reasons that I wanted Robert here was I wanted to be sure that this church was a recognition of what God is doing to the Jewish, with the Jewish people and with Israel. And, uh, of course, uh, you know, we're tremendous supporters of Israel. And, uh, uh, but I, what I don't understand is there's no greater miracle, except maybe the resurrection, that's ever taken place in the history of the world than for God not just to save a person, not just to resurrect a person, but to resurrect a nation because he made a covenant with them. It, 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 to me, it's the most amazing thing. But then I have to realize what God said to Abraham. God, Abraham said, how do you know? How do I know you're going to give me this land? And God said, well, I'm going to swear by myself. And he showed him this picture of, of the smoking furnace and the pillar of, 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 of fire representing the Godhead. I'm going to swear by myself uh, that this is your land. It, it, it is the, how can I believe the covenant of God to heal me if I don't believe that covenant? Tommy. Uh, our time is slipping away, but I want to make available your new book, How to Live Out of a Dream, and your DVD docudrama, How to Live Out of a Dream, The World Within You and Around You. When you wrote the book, How to Live Out of a Dream, what did you hope to accomplish? I live in a world that's different than most preachers. I think I hear things differently than most preachers. Uh, you know, I, I'm kind of academic in my preaching, but I can tell you that I don't want to preach things that I don't know God has said to me. I want to wake up in the morning and hear Jesus and say the things he wants me to say. I don't want to even be on your show and just say things by rote. I want to know that when I speak to you and speak to the world that I've heard what God wants me to say. I am firmly convinced that the, one of the messages God has for our world today, that the problems of our world could be solved, the world could be evangelized, if we only heard God's voice. Most people just don't hear God's voice. They don't listen. Their parents tell them, you know, that, that's just your imagination. And they cut off the very source of God speaking to them. And I want to go out and teach the world to hear God's voice because I believe it's not only possible, it's absolutely mandatory. Yeah, you know, there's so much gloom and doom in the news today. And it, even Christians talking to one another, they're saying, oh, do you see what's going on with the uh, morality in America? Do you see what's going on with the economy? Do you see what's going on with disease? Uh, but I believe, Tommy, that those that are listening to us right now, this is their greatest hour 
that I believe that when they get a hold of your new book and docudrama, they are for the first time going to discover the dream within them, the dream that God has for them. They're going to start hearing God's voice. As a matter of fact, when we come back, I'd like you to teach how we can hear his voice, how we can dream his dreams. I mean, you say that it's simple, and I know that it's simple. Uh, Tommy, uh, the next broadcast that I do that people will hear, I will have just returned from Jerusalem. I'm leaving in a couple of days for Jerusalem. I am going to have a meeting in Jerusalem, Israel, and we have reservations of 400 people. We're expecting over 500 unsaved Jewish people. What I do is I call it a lecture on the supernatural. And I, I really, I don't say I'm going to talk about God. I say that I'm going to, I certainly don't say I'm going to talk about Jesus. I just say I've spent the last 35 years studying the paranormal. I use that word because I want non-believers and the supernatural. Uh, and I'm going to speak and many people are going to be physically healed in their seats. I've done this all over the world. But do you realize just as historic as it was for Israel to become a nation, it is historic for four or 500 unsaved Jewish people to hear about the good news of Jesus, witness miracles in their own lives. People will stand up. 30, 40 people are going to stand up and say, on Jewish non-believers, I've just been physically healed. And I believe I'm believing for 100 percent, 100 percent of these Jewish people will stand up and make professions of faith. Now, to me, that is has never happened in the history of modern-day Israel. But we're in a new time. I'm telling you, the move of God has begun. We'll be right back. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. This is Sid Roth with Tommy Reed. And Tommy, I believe has lived what he is teaching. And he his greatest desire is to have you do greater than him because he learned as a child that there is a dream from God for every human. And when you achieve knowing that dream and implementing that dream, you have achieved your destiny. And his greatest desire is for you to achieve your destiny. Uh, Tommy, uh, let's, let's start with the first Jew, Abraham. What is God showing you? Well, uh, when I look at the life of Abraham, uh, I've got a lot of favorite Bible characters, but he is my faith father. So I love to start where he started. Uh, first of all, Abraham did not come from what we know as a, a Jewish home. He uh, or a Christian home, uh, he was the son of an idol maker, but God encountered him. He had this encounter with God, and God told him a number of things. He told him he would give him a child and a family and a nation, but he couldn't have children. And so as he had this vision from God, or this voice of God, saying, this is who you are, and this is what you're going to do, and you're going to be a great nation, one day he believed it. Uh, and he did two things with that dream, and this is the way that Abraham teaches us 
how to hear God's voice. Number one, he went to what I call the cathedral of God. He went out in the open air where there was nothing between he and God. It was the open heavens. He could see the stars. He could he could feel the breeze. He was in, he was in this in this what again I call the cathedral. And as he was there, and hearing God's voice and remembering God's voice, he did two things. First of all, he reached down and he felt the sand, and he felt the sand going through his hands, and he said, "I see my children." There are thousands of them, millions of them. I see my children. And then he looked at the stars and he began to count them. And he was enough of an astronomer to know there were more stars than he could count. My children go beyond the numbers that I can count. So the first take, we, first place he takes his dream, he takes it to the open air. I love to take my dreams, what God says to me, out in the open air. If you want to hear God's voice, Get where there's nothing between you and God. If it's zero degrees, take a walk and look at the stars. It's a wonderful place to hear God's voice. Number two, God says to him, build me an altar. The second place to hear God's voice is in the intimacy of the altar. It's here we make sacrifice. It's here we listen. It's here we hear the still, small voice of God. And so my exhortation to anyone that wants to hear God's voice is there's two places to hear God's voice that are the best. One is in the open air. The other is in the intimacy of your communication with God, where there's intimacy between you and God. And, you know, Sid, hearing God's voice ought to be so natural. We ought to be able to hear it as we drive our cars. I personally, I've, for 50 years, I've always driven a convertible because I love to put the top down. I can hear God's voice. It's, it's where there's nothing between me and God. Uh, one story I close with, I was a good friend of Robert Schuler's, and we had spent, one and I spent a vacation with he and Arvella and about six other couples at the Baldwin Estate on Maui. And uh, one day we went out for a walk with him out through the woods. You know, we built a crystal cathedral, nothing between you and God. And as he built the crystal cathedral, uh, he was thinking about that, and so we went out for the walk, and there was in the back of the estate an old wooden platform. At the end of the platform was this hand-hewn pulpit, and he raised his hands and said, this is the greatest cathedral in the world. There's nothing between me and God. So part of my advice is if you're going to hear God, find a place, a place of intimacy and a place of expanse where you believe that God is going to speak to you. Does that make any sense to you, Sid? Well, the, the key that I'm hearing you say is have nothing separate. Go out into nature and, and believe that God's going to speak. Yeah, and you don't commune with nature. You commune with a God that made nature. There's nothing. I've got to picture myself and see myself as being able to see God face-to-face and one-to-one. That's the God that healed Tommy Reed when I was a boy. That's the God that called me when I was a cripple. That's the God that called me when I was a stutterer and couldn't speak. This God that I've known from my mother's knee is the God. There's nothing between me and this God. Well, you believe because Scripture says that God wrote the purposes and destiny of our life before the foundation of the world. And that's true for everyone that's listening. Everyone that's listening? Yeah, I'll be glad to. Every single person on the other side of this microphone 
even if you've never heard God's voice, even maybe if you're listening today and this kind of caught you by surprise, and you're out there, and you say, I've never heard God, I don't even know if there is a God. Listen, because he's speaking. He's speaking in a language of dreams. He's speaking in a language of visions. And I guarantee you, without a shadow of a doubt, that if you listen, you'll hear his voice. Tell me about, uh, in your, your new book, How to Live Out of a Dream, and especially the workbook portion to help you identify your dreams and bring them to pass. Uh, why did you set it up this way? I set it up this way because I, I want people to work their way through dreams. Uh, for instance, I say there, uh, the first, the, the, I remember the first workbook page, I asked a question. What dreams did you have when you were seven or eight years of age? What did you dream about? Uh, did you dream about being a fireman? Maybe so. But maybe that dream really meant you're supposed to rescue people. Uh, maybe it means you're supposed to be a preacher and give altar calls. Maybe it's just supposed to be a person to witness to your, your Jewish neighbor who, who needs Christ, who needs to accept their Messiah. And, and maybe that's what that dream meant. Think about your dreams and write it down. Then I say, the next question is, what did you do with it? Did you follow it? Uh, did you throw it away? Or did you listen to it? And uh, so the questions are kind of like that, and, and we go from uh, truth to truth. When we, for instance, the question is, when was your dream written by God? When you were born? Uh, when God created the world? Or before the foundation of the world? So we go through the chapters of the book and ask questions. Now, you talk a lot, and, and I sure wish I had understood this. Uh, I, I wish everyone would understand. I want you to teach just a few minutes on the battle between the world around us and the world inside of us. I was first going to uh, call my book The Conflict, because that's one of the great battles that we fight between the world inside of us. I saw this big church inside of me, but I looked up and it was a little church. Think of the dream that Henry Ford had. Uh, he had a vision of putting America on wheels, and yet there were no roads, uh, there uh, were no gas stations, uh, there was no place to even drive cars. And, and even if you had them and could sell them, the people couldn't afford to buy them. So how are you going to make a car that the multitudes can buy? And uh, But that dream conquered the world around him. And that's true with everybody, no matter who the great man is. The dream inside of you, the dream of Henry Kaiser uh, to build the Liberty and Victory ships. And uh, when it took him, uh, what was it, a year and four months to build a ship, and he shortened the time one time to four days to build a 450-foot ship because it was a dream inside of him greater than the world around him. And, uh, but there's a conflict. Uh, well, I, my conflict was when I was trying to build a church in Buffalo and, and wasn't succeeding, I got an invitation to pastor a big church in Hawaii. Uh, when I was uh, working with Dr. Cho and got an offer to pastor, co-pastor the great uh, full gospel church in Seoul with him, but yet there was another church inside of me, and I had to say no to the one to say yes to the other. Yeah, but after saying no to these wonderful opportunities, things that people, uh, it, it, it's like unreal, the opportunities that were presented to you, Tommy. Uh, you, you finally, God gave you a vision to build churches in Buffalo, and, uh, and you go there, 
and for seven years, nothing is happening. Uh, did Between you and me, did you think you really had missed God? Oh, yeah. There's times when I, I think all of us had doubts, but not really that overwhelming. I still knew it was inside of me. I still saw that church. I, even though I'd get discouraged, I would still see it. I knew that God was going to do it. Without a shadow of a doubt, there was something inside of me. There would be times of doubt, yes, but there would also be times when I'd have to move back into the world inside of me and say, God, I still believe it. Uh, but there was a time when God really spoke to me. I, there's a book I wrote a number of years ago with three visions in it. And the, one of the visions that I had that I think was the stumbling block uh, to, getting the, to building the church was I began to pray a prayer inside of me. The prayer inside of me was, God, show me the world as you see it. Now, I thought I knew how God saw the world, and I got that from all the sermons I'd heard, that God hates the world, he's going to destroy it, and he's going to send all the judgment upon it. That's who I thought God was, and that's how I got thought about the world. But I prayed this prayer, God, show me the world as you see it. And one day I was driving my car, and I don't know who drove the car for the next few minutes. It may have been a few seconds, but I had this vision as I was pulling the car up under the throughway, and I, I was way above the world. And remember, the prayers coming out of me, Lord, show me the world as you see it. And all of a sudden, I took this, I had this uh, kind of a, a bird's eye view of the world, and I saw the places I'd been in Korea and the Philippines and the cities I'd been in. And all of a sudden, I saw the hands of Jesus, and they were nail scarred. And they came toward the world. And I thought that I knew the world, I saw the world as he saw it, so I thought they were going to destroy the world. Instead, they gently caressed the world, and Jesus opened the world, and inside I saw a broken heart. And Jesus said to me, Tommy, that's the way I see the world. And if you'll see it that way, I'll give you a great church. And my whole world changed. My message was different. My love for the Jew my love for the, you, you know, I thought, as some mistaken Christians have thought, that that God wanted to judge the Jew because they had uh, they had been part of the crucifixion. I began to realize that God loved them with an overwhelming love because He saw them with a broken heart. Everything about how Jesus saw the world changed, and with that, the church grew from from 150 people to 800 in one week. In one week. Well, you make an amazing statement. I'm going to quote you. The world inside you is the seed you must plant in the world around you. And what I want is people to get your new book and your DVD docudrama because I want them to discover the God dream that God has put inside of them and how to cause it to become a reality. There's a destiny on your life. And this is the greatest time in the history of planet Earth to be alive. And I pray you get a hold of this book. You get, I mean, this is the this is the burning passion of Tommy Reed. That is for you to fulfill the dream that God is dreaming for you right now. And he's put this all together. I'm telling you, when you see this docudrama, uh, you, you will exude with the faith God has given Tommy Reed. Because as you go step by step through his life in this docudrama, it will speak to you about your life. We're making the book 
and the DVD available for a gift of $35. I want to pray over you. I tell you that the Lord has already blessed you. I tell you that the Lord has already smiled upon you. I tell you that the Lord has already planted within you before the foundation of the world a dream. I tell you that it's time for the harvest. I tell you that the Lord has given you shalom. That's completeness in your spirit, in your soul, and in your body. In the name of the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, Yeshua HaMashiach Sikenu, Jesus the Messiah, our righteousness. To place a credit card order for today's offer, call anytime at 1 800 447 2697. That's 1 800 447 2697. Or log on to our website at www.sidroth.org. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. Discover how you can begin watching for free our 24-hour, 7-day-a-week TV network, ISN, the It's Supernatural Network. You can write me at Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. That's Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.